0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris Snell and I'll be doing our scripture reading this morning. Um, this is from Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 to 12 in the NASB. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now. May you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, wonderful things in your word. May you transform the way we see your word uh, and how we take it in and uh, process it today. Uh, Lord, may you set our feet upon a journey throughout the rest of our life that will be one of growing more and more in closely to Christ in our discipleship through the word we hear today. May Paul's prayer be answered in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. What is God's will for my life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever agonized over that question? What is God's will for me, for my life? you've ever asked or agonized over that question, Colossians chapter 1 has something profound to say to you. But before we dive into what chapter 1 has to say, let me clarify something. What do we most often mean when we talk about God's will? What do we mean? Most of the time, when people talk about God's will, they're talking about God's directive will. God's directive will. And the Bible gives us some good examples of God's directive will. Moses, return to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. That's an instance where we see God's directive will. God wants you to go to this place and do this thing. When we agonize over God's will, that's usually what we're wanting, right? We're wanting direction. We were wanting the word to say, go to this place, do this thing, take that job, buy this house, marry that person. When we ask God, what is your will? Usually we're talking about God's directive will. And we can agonize over God's directive will because it feels like we might get it wrong. It feels like we. Just might blow it. After all, God directed Moses in the wilderness to speak to the rock. And water would come gushing out to quench the thirst of his people. But instead of just speaking, what did Moses do? He struck the rock. The miracle happened all the same. Water came gushing out. But God rebuked Moses for not following his instructions. Saying Moses did not act in faith. The miracle happened, but not as God directed we could feel like the very same thing might happen to us. That we could miss out on God's will, that we could disobey some direction or ignore some detail and miss out on the promised land because of it. Have you ever felt like that? Like Joshua, you're wondering how many times was I supposed to march around Jericho? Was it six? Was it seven? What if I get it wrong? Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're a modern day Naaman, losing count of how many times you're washing in the Jordan? Was it six times I was supposed to wash? Seven? What if I get it wrong? What if I don't do the right thing? What if I don't go to the right place? What if I misunderstand God's directive will? Have you ever agonized over a choice like that? If you've ever felt that way, the Bible has really good news for you today. (laughs) Really good news. Much more frequently than the Bible talks about God's directive will, the Bible talks about God's decreed will. God's decreed will. The Bible says that God has decreed the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not yet been done, saying, "'My purpose will be established.'" I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God's will of decree is visualized in the Bible with an image. Do you know what it is? It's a book. A book. God's will, decreed will, is pictured as a book. It's a book that contains everything. All of history, including all of our personal history. Psalm uh, Psalm 139 Verse 16 says, Your eyes have seen my unforced substance, you saw me in my mother's womb, and in your book were written, all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Jesus said, it's not just our days that are in God's book, but also the birds. He said, not one sparrow falls to the ground, or one hare falls from our head apart from God's decreed will. God's will of decree touches everything, big and small. It touches every corner of creation. God's book of decrees truly is comprehensive. If anything's comprehensive, it's that book. Why? Because that book is the mind of God, an infinite mind. Paul says this book contains the big things, the rise and fall of nations. Proverbs says it contains the little things, the dice we cast in our lap. Ephesians says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is his decreed will. It's helpful at this point to ask ourselves, why? Why would the Bible tell us about God's decreed will? Why would God tell us? He didn't have to. He could have left us assuming that the universe is like a clock, a clock that God made, yes, and God wound up, yes, but now he steps back and just hands off, watches what happens, just waiting to see how it's all going to unfold. God could have left us assuming that, that history is a simulation with unforeseen events instead of a story with an author. At its heart. We could have been left in the dark. God could have left us in the dark. Why didn't he do that? Why would God tell us so much about his will of decree? Much more than he talks about his directive will. His will of decree. This isn't the only answer. But part of the answer God has told us these things. Has to be this. God wants us not to agonize. About his will or about our choices. He wants us not to be anxious. He wants us to know that even our mess ups don't mess up his plan. He wants us to discover and say with Job, remember Job said this in the end, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. When Jesus tells us that God's decreed will extends to the birds, and to the flowers, and to the very hair that falls from our head, he also tells us why we need to know this. You remember? Why do we need to know this? Jesus says we need this knowledge so that we won't worry. We won't worry. God's plan will not fail. Therefore, do not fear. Do not fear. You you are worth more than the birds. You are not strong enough to mess it all up. No power of hell, no scheme of man is strong enough to thwart God's plan. God's decreed will cannot be messed up by us because it includes even our messing up. More than the Bible talks about God's directive will, it talks about God's decreed will. And that is ultimately for our comfort and for our assurance, I think. But, more than the Bible talks about God's decreed will, even that, it talks about something else, another type of will in God. Do you know what it is? It also starts with a D. God's declared will. There it is. God's declared will. God's declared will consists of all the things he has declared in Scripture that reveal his character and should be reshaping ours. For example, one example. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18, God says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Want to know God's will for you? There it is. God has declared his will that you be full of joy, that you be full of prayer, that you be full of thanks in all things. Whenever the Bible says that God loves something, he is declaring his will to you. He's declaring that you ought to love that thing too. Whenever the Bible says that God hates something, he's declaring his will. We are to hate that thing like he hates it. Proverbs 12 verse 22 says that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. There. There. God's declared will. You see it. God's declared will for us is to hate lying lips like he hates them and to love those who deal faithfully like he loves them. Micah 6 says, He has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? That you do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. God's declared will tells us what to do, what to love, and how to live. A great part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus involves training our hearts, retraining our hearts to increasingly reflect God's declared will. You don't know these things. By default, naturally, we have to have this word getting into our hearts, God declaring his will for us, that we might do it. So, when we speak and when the Bible speaks about God's will, we usually mean one of three things. We're either talking about God's directive will, his decreed will, or his declared will. Now, with those three options in mind, look with me at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Verse 9, Paul prays. He says, For this reason, since we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prays that we, as believers, might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. But which of the three meanings of God's will that we just covered does Paul have in mind? When in doubt, test it out. Is Paul praying that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's directive will? Almost certainly not. Number one, God is almost certainly not going to speak to you like he did to Moses or the prophets through a burning bush. Speak to you like Moses, giving you some specific directions you are to follow. God is almost certainly not going to tell you like Joshua to go marching around Jordan-Hare Stadium seven times and see what happens. He's he's not going to say that. God is not going to speak to you like Jonah. Go to Nineveh and do this. And even if he did, number two, it would not necessarily lead to this, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Even if you knew all of God's directive will for your life, you take the right job, You buy the right house, you go to the right school, you marry the right person. Making the best choices in those areas does not necessarily mean you are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord in your day to day life. It is possible to follow God's directive will and have a crummy attitude while doing it. Just ask Jonah, right? You can go and preach repentance to Nineveh, and the state of your heart be far from pleasing before God. So it's not God's directive will that Paul has in mind in verse 9. What about God's decreed will? Here again, I think the answer has to be no. This isn't the meaning Paul has in mind in his prayer. Paul himself isn't full of the knowledge of God's decreed will. There's a lot of things. Paul knows a lot of things, but there's a lot of things Paul does not know. But even it, even Paul doesn't know God's decreed will for his own life. For instance, Paul gets thrown in prison. He doesn't know. Do I pray for a miraculous deliverance or do I pray God give me grace to die well? Paul doesn't know. So he says, the spirit within me, I don't know how to pray. The spirit within me groans with groaning too deep for words. And the spirit prays in accordance with the will of God. I don't know the will of God, his decreed will all the time. No one, including Paul, knows God's decreed will. It's a secret. It's a secret. The angels in heaven don't know all that God has planned. It's too much to know. So, Paul can't be praying that we as believers be filled with the knowledge of God's decreed will. If we eliminate God's directive will and his decreed will, what are we left with? It's the actual meaning that makes the most sense, right? Verse 9, Paul is praying that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's declared will. God's declared will. So that, verse 10, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's knowing God's declared will on how you should treat your neighbors, and how you should love your wife, and how you should parent your kids, and how you should do your work, and how you should respond to that offense. It's being filled with the knowledge of these things that will enable us to do verse 10, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects. But notice here that knowledge alone isn't enough. Knowledge alone isn't enough to produce the outcome found in verses 10 and following. We need to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding are needed in order to rightly apply God's declared will to our lives. For example, God has declared his will that we love our neighbors. That's God's declared will. Love your neighbor. But it's going to take some spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to apply God's declared will that you love your neighbor to a situation where your neighbor is breaking the law or endangering your family or starting a lawnmower graveyard that spills over onto your property, right? It's going to take some spiritual wisdom and understanding how do I love my neighbor in this situation? You know God's declared will, love your neighbor, but it's going to take wisdom to apply it and to navigate that tricky situation. It's going to take some spiritual wisdom in order for you to come out smelling like verse 10 in those situations, pleasing the Lord in all respect, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let me try to illustrate what's happening here in verse 9 with two images. The first one is an old Traditional illustration used by philosophers like Immanuel Kant. The second is an updated illustration, in case you don't like Kant, uh, or or I don't like Kant. But in case you don't like the image he popularized, Kant was uh, a German philosopher who illustrated his most famous teaching with a sausage grinder. Sausage grinder. There it is. You ever seen a sausage grinder? Uh, let me paint a picture for you. <laughs> Imagine a little Immanuel Kant. He's about five foot tall. Imagine a little Immanuel Kant standing on his tiptoes, looking through the window of a Prussian butcher shop. And on the table, he sees a device that looks like this, a sausage grinder. Kant sees a man turning the handle of that machine. The man is putting raw be- bits of meat in the top of the machine. And, uh, and as he turns the crank and the machine works, Coming out the other end, it becomes, it turns into long links of German sausage. Okay, you, you got the picture. And looking through the window, Kant says, aha, I've got it. For Kant, the human mind is the machine. And the raw meat is all the raw information from the world, from outside our minds, that's going in. And the sausage produced on the other end is our perception of the world, or as Kant called it, it is the transcendental unity of apperception. Kant, by the way, is sometimes accused of intentionally trying to confuse people <laughs> by, by, and make himself sound smart, but fortunately, you're there at the butcher shop window to set Kant straight. Here is a better way to imagine the sausage grinder, Kant, old boy, you say to him. The image... That image is better applied to Colossians. (laughs) It's it's been there in Colossians this whole time. Uh, You might offer Kant a little box to stand on so he can see in the window better as you explain this to him. The content going into the sausage grinder is God's declared will spoken to us in the Bible. That content is then processed through the machine of our spiritual wisdom and understanding. Applying it to realized situations. The product coming out the other end is verse 10. A walk that is worthy of the Lord. A sausage fit for a king. The apostle Paul has been 10 steps ahead of you, Kant, this whole time. And he's telling a better story than you're telling. Colossians 1 is a sausage grinder of both the mind and the heart. Do you see it? God's declared will is the content coming into our minds and heart. Spiritual wisdom and understanding are the gears that process the content, applying it to our lives. And walking worthy is the sausage coming out the other end. Sausage grinder. Who knew, right? But if you're here this morning, maybe you're maybe you're a vegan. And that illustration perhaps made you feel a little woozy. Even that image made you feel a little woozy. I apologize. Uh, Let me give you a more modern, sanitized image. Imagine a computer, any kind of computer. As I was growing up, the computers I went to school with were all Apple double E's. You remember those? Green screen, floppy disk. That's what I imagined for this illustration. Because there are two things I remember from my first computer classes. One, I remember playing Oregon Trail, repeatedly dying of dysentery. And number two, I remember having to enter coding into prompts in DOS to make pictures in, with pixels. And the saying was true then and is still true today that garbage in, garbage out, right? Garbage in, garbage out. If I fail to enter the correct content, I got a crummy picture back in return. You already see how this illustration works, right? The content going into the computer is God's declared will right here. Going in, the processor is the spiritual wisdom and understanding that we have. And the product coming out is walking worthy of the Lord. Now, a computer's processor can be great, but if bad content is going in, bad content is coming out. Likewise, you can put good content in, but if a computer doesn't know how to process it, the end product isn't going to be what it ought to be. It's going to be an error, error message, right? So whether you prefer the computer or the sausage grinder metaphor, I hope you can visualize now how the pieces of verses 9 and 10 fit together. I'll give it to you again as three points here. I think they've been on the screen. Three points before I move forward. Uh, We see in verse 9 the content, God's will. You see it? The content, God's will. Then we see the processor, spiritual wisdom, verse 9. And then finally, we see the product, walking worthy in verses 10 through 12. We spent a good bit of time already talking about the content of God's will. Virtually every time you hear, read, meditate on the Bible, you are encountering the content of God's declared will. We all know that if we could just get more of this content in here, in our mind, then, so that it would take hold here in our hearts, our affections, we all know that if that process would happen, it would change us. It would change our lives. If only I loved more of what God loved, like he declares it here. If only I loved what God loved like he loved it and abhorred what God hates like he hates it, then my actions, the actions that flow from my heart, would be so very different than what they are. Then I would be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'd be pleasing him in every respect. So, We all know the first thing we need to do. Get more of this content in here. Get more meat into the machine. Get more of the content into the computer. You get more of this external word to reshape and rewire your internal thoughts. And guess what? Your values begin to change. What you love begins to change. We all know deep down that we need this and that we need to take greater steps to put more of God's declared will into the sausage grinder of our minds and hearts. If you're a Christian here today, I bet you intuit that truth already. You just know it. You just know you need to get what God has spoken into your heart to change you. You just know it. You know you need to be reading the Bible. You just know That you need to be realigning your heart with God's will declared here. And, by way of encouragement to everyone here, what we are doing right now is part of God's means for getting good content into the computer. Corporate worship, what we're doing right now, this morning, is designed by God to get more meat into the sausage grinder of our minds. Through prayer and song, through teaching and preaching, through a thousand little conversations that are happening here, we are exposing our hearts to God's declared will. This even happens to us as children. Even as people who do not yet believe. We should not underestimate the cumulative impact of years of upon years of exposure to God's word and will that we can have among the people of God in the church. This is why we gather together as a church family. That's why gathering together is important. Jesus designed this regular rhythm into the life of the church as a way to answer Paul's prayer here. This is part of the answer to how God's people are filled up with the knowledge of his will. Let me encourage you with that. Your mission already already undertaken. But even with a steady intake of good content, you still need something else. You need a good processor. You need spiritual wisdom. Verse nine says, we need spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to apply correctly God's declared will to our lives. So, How do we grow in that? How do we become wiser? How do we, I think I wrote more wise originally. How do we become wiser, right? Just get our grammar right. How do we grow in our spiritual understanding? I think there's a couple obvious answers. Number one, we can pray for it, right? That's what Paul is doing right here for the church. He is praying That they would be filled with the content and be given the wisdom to process and apply it to their lives. The book of James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, what's he to do? Ask. Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. So number one, we can pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Number two, we can seek it by going to the source. God himself is the ultimate source, that's why we pray, but God has spoken to us in words we can understand, and those words are a normal means of making us wise. David said, your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation." Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. I'd sooner trust the judgment of a blue-collar farmer with very limited education, but has his mind filled with God's declared will. I'd sooner trust him than I would any Ph.D., who turned up their nose at what God has said here. I'd rather be governed by that farmer than any Ph.D. as well. I trust the life choices of the uneducated man over the life choices of the Ph.D., who had the, of the man who has this word in his heart. Some of the smartest men and women alive have also been some of the most immoral and foolish people in their personal lives. We all know that, right? Clever people still make selfish, self-destructive choices with their lives because they neglect what would make them really wise. They ignore God's design, foolishly thinking they know better. While a life well lived, according to God's design, takes the content of God's declared will and applies it with spiritual wisdom to the variety of experiences we have in life. You grow in that wisdom through prayer, through saturating your mind with God's Word, and through the sharpening of other believers. As iron sharpens iron, we sharpen one another's spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what's happening in our Sunday school hour before the service. That's what's happening at our Wednesday feast days during the week. We sit around a table together And we're applying God's declared will to our lives through the spiritual wisdom that God has given to each of us. And we're all around the table getting wiser, and our understanding is growing through that time together, through that sharpening of one another. As someone else applies a truth and articulates it better than I can, I'm growing in my ability to apply and articulate it as well. I'm growing in my spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you've never been to a Wednesday night or to a Sunday morning Sunday school class, you should come. Come this Wednesday. Come this week as we process and apply together the word we're hearing in Colossians right now. That's all I'm going to say about the content of God's will and the processor of spiritual wisdom. Let's finish this morning by diving a little more into the product. Walking worthy. What is that? What does that look like? Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Paul's praying that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that, verse 10, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you could write a description for your life, could you do better than verse 10? I couldn't. This is what I want. Verse 10. Verse 10. Knowing God's declared will and having the spiritual wisdom to apply it leads to some truly wonderful things, verse 10. You walk worthy of the Lord. Your life is a testament to how good your Lord really is, how good your king really is. You are pleasing him in all respects. You really can please God as your heart is rewired by his will. You're bearing fruit Continually in every good work. Your character is growing and changing, and it's contagiously spreading to others. You're constantly increasing in the knowledge of God. And since God is infinite, your life will never be boring. Good is never boring. There is always more of God to know and enjoy and love. This is also happening. Verse 11, look at verse 11. You're strengthened. With all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. This is happening. As your heart and mind are being changed by daily encountering God's will and word, a new strength and power is coming. You're experiencing it. It's a power not sourced in your resources or character, but it provides you with resources and it changes your character. God's spirit applying God's word empowers you to live out God's declared will. God is at work in you, changing your character from feeble to steadfast, from quick-tempered to patient. And all of this is producing joy and thanksgiving. Look at verse 12. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We need to remember that you in and of yourself were not qualified to share in Christ's inheritance. But God God the Father he has qualified you through Jesus' death and resurrection to receive an inheritance which is beyond your wildest dreams. So believe it and give thanks for it and be grateful In the overflow of your gratitude, take hold of more content. Put more of God's declared will into the computer, into the sausage grinder. Cultivate more and more processing power, more and more spiritual wisdom and understanding to apply that content. So that the final product is more and more joy, more and more gratitude, more and more desire to know. And do God's will. It's a cycle that continues and reinforces itself as it grows. So, if that's how it works, what's our problem? What's my problem? What breaks down in me that I don't see this happening all the time? My problem and your problem is probably this. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis famously put it this way, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine What is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea? We are far too easily pleased. The problem is that we don't desire the good as strongly as we should. We don't desire real character change as strongly as we ought. We are far too easily pleased with a little knowledge, with a little wisdom, a little progress. We are far too quickly distracted with a little business, a little emergency, a little amusement. If that's the problem, what's the solution then? The solution is found in how your heart answers my original question. What's God's will for my life? You no longer agonize over the go here and do that answers, but instead Wherever you go, and whatever your hands find to do, you're always keeping them on the wheel. You're continually turning the crank of the grinder. You're taking God's declared will, applying it with increasing spiritual wisdom and understanding, and the product is you, excelling still more in walking worthy of the Lord. What is God's will for my life? It's a life that is seeking to make Christ supreme in all things. Father, I ask that you would write this upon all of our hearts this morning. What is your will? May we go to your word continually, day by day, and be reminded of it, be refreshed In it, have our hearts rewired by it, applying spiritual wisdom to the daily situations we face, uh, taking your word there, applying the gospel to all of life so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Lord, may we daily have our hand on the grinder. May we daily be putting more and more of your mind into our mind and having our heart changed by your heart. May that be the legacy of our time together this morning, a life of discipleship, having our hearts retrained by your will, adding spiritual wisdom, growing in it to do your work. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.